fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Nerd on FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the house of mystery. And I'm Al Warren. Joining me today, we've got super spy, Mr. Gavin Stone. How are you today? I am great today. And I I never know whether to say good evening or good morning because I don't know when this is going to air. So I'm just going to say hello. It really doesn't matter. Every station airs it at different times, so you oh. can say either, and you're right. Oh, I mean, in Salt Lake, it's in the afternoon. At Seattle, it's kind of 3.30 in the afternoon. L.A., it's 9, so... Ah, oh, well, good Good morning, afternoon, or evening to wherever this is airing, then. Yeah, it's a global <laughs> world now. I don't know if you've heard of this thing. It's called the Internet, and it really changed things. Oh, now, people yeah. listen to us all over at all times. It's just, it's really convenient. Maybe we, we'll get you online one day soon. Yeah, I've got to come out of the cave and stop uh, being so much of a technophobe and keep up with these things, really. Yeah, you're bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, we've got we've got a guy on, and um, he's written a book, and he's had quite a life. Uh, he's been in your business and, you know, the espionage and, you know, I don't, information business, spy business, <laughs> I, you know, it's all that stuff. And uh, so he's written a book. The book is called A Spy Alone. It says, um, so he's under the name of Charles Beaumont, and now, uh, so welcome to the show, Charles. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let's, let's talk about, so people know who you are. You were in, what exactly were you in before you written the book, and what led you to write this book? Well, a long time ago, I, I worked in, in British intelligence, in, in the organization that some people call MI6. I would say that this book doesn't necessarily come from that at all. In fact, it comes more from my reflections on the world of Britain in the 21st century, uh, the, the world of the sort of cynical international politics, finance, uh, where all those things cross over, and Britain's relationships with Russia in the last 20 years or so. And, and that's really what I write about in this novel. Well, you know, so when you, in that kind of life, obviously you have to keep a lot of it secret, in, including your name and kind of, you know, a lot of what you had done. What is it that you wanted to get across in a book? Like, so when you're, when you're sitting there thinking about this, did you have some sort of a, a meaning? Was there a text? Was there some sort of thought in your mind that you wanted people to get out of a book that you wrote or was it just going to be purely entertainment i think one of the things i wanted to explore was whether or not there could be a a sort of russian mole at the heart of the, the british establishment in the 2020s so my book is set right in the modern era and what i'm trying to do because we're very familiar with these Cold War stories. We're very familiar with whether it's, you know, in the US, maybe Aldrich Ames or whether in, in, in the UK, people like Kim Philby and so on. But 
that feels like quite old history now. I'm trying to think about would would something like that exist in these days in, a, in an era where the idea of people, you know, being converted to the communist cause or something like that is, is clearly no longer relevant. And so, so that was the, the sort of underlying idea that I was trying to explore in the book. And, and so I, I guess do you have to, you know, this is kind of a generic question, but do you have to check it, get it checked with MI6 or any sort of um, agencies before you publish a book the, the rules in the uk are, are as with many things in the uk um slightly <laughs> unclear to to many people um we like to make things up as we go along um but i'm i'm led to understand that the the government does not object to this book having uh, been released well that's a good thing <laughs> yeah i went off the theory of um it's better to seek forgiveness than permission I, a very a very good um uh, guide by which to live your life <laughs> Definitely. Um, so, in, in the, the the main character, Simon, uh, how much of how much of Simon, or how much of yourself, is in Simon? Shall we say? Well, uh, you know, all all, um, all novelists get asked: is is this autobiography, or is this is this a um, you know is is this all fiction? Um, and I, I, it the character, I think quite a lot of it is more a sort of confection of people that I've observed and, and sort of life experiences that I've, I've seen from people I've worked with or worked al alongside or, you know, people I have knowledge of. But I guess, you know, the character of Simon in the book, the protagonist, he's somebody who is a little bit world weary, a little bit, I don't want to say depressed, but somebody who, who feels that maybe Britain has slightly lost its way in the modern era. And I, and I think I share a couple of those thoughts that, that, that we're a country that doesn't quite seem to know where it's going. And certainly our, some of our international relations um, have, have, have not necessarily been a great success in, in recent years. So I think um, there's a bit of me in there, I'm sure. Oh, no, no. I, I know that there was one line in the book which straight away I read it. It, it said, um, "Just a middle-aged spy getting what was it? A middle-aged spy getting getting scared of the dark or something like that." Yeah. And I just remember thinking, "What a relatable character!" And then I thought to myself, "Or is it just me?" <laughs> <laughs> well, right. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, the the one thing this protagonist is not is is a kind of James Bond-style superhero. It's very much based in in a real person who I hope that an average reader could, could identify with and not feel that, that they're sort of reading things that, that they themselves couldn't possibly imagine. I would imagine that would be the hardest thing, right? Um, trying to decide how wild you can go in a story like this. Because, you know, because there's so much out there now with everything from Reacher to, you know, James Bond has come a long way. That's right. And, and, and I think in a way that that... That was what propelled me to go for the other, the sort of other end of the scale. So to try to be very authentic and, and very believable. And, and what I mean by that particularly is is to to nest it in in a world that people will recognise. So even if you're not um, involved in the intelligence world, there are I've I've sort of drawn on events that happened in in real life in recent years, or notably the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but also uh, things such as the these open source so-called OSINT analysts who've been able from outside the intelligence world to discover all, all kinds of things about what Russian special services have been up to. So kind of using that 
using that framework of of bringing real events into a fictional uh, setting, which I think helps people to to sort of perhaps believe that maybe there's some truth to the novel. Although I hasten to add, it is it is just fiction. Oh sure. <laughs> when you're putting the characters in, and when you're creating characters to do a story like this, where do they come from then? Are they coming from people you've come across over your years of of that kind of lifestyle, or are they completely out of the blue? I I think uh, almost every character I've written is a is a sort of confection of a few real people, and then and then sort of taking them off in a slightly different direction. Yeah, you know, partly of course because I, I don't want to depict real people. Maybe you know there are real people who have lawyers, and also you know that there are that there are elements of the story that are just more interesting if you if you create your own character but i i can't speak for other novelists but i think i think i always began with someone in my mind that i knew and then i sort of it's almost like sort of making something out of clay you know you kind of you you mold on other elements from from other characters and and, and other ideas and eventually hopefully you have someone who's a who's quite original now, I, I imagine you're an extremely well-read individual, which is always a bonus for anybody starting out in writing, but how did you fare going from the, uh, the extreme of writing you know, reports uh, to the completely kind of new world of, of writing fiction? What, what, what were the challenges that you had along the way doing that? Yeah, that, that's a great, great question, Gavin. I think w- one thing is that I think there's a sense that fiction has lots of description, um, and, and obviously, you know, clearly if, if you need to depict a world and a scene and a setting. But what I found was that actually the world of writing sort of government type reports, intel type reports is quite helpful because there's always an emphasis there on, on not overusing words, on not, you know, filling the page with, with endless adjectives and, and superlatives and all the rest of it. And and actually, I thought that was quite helpful to a novelist because, of course, you always end up having to cut stuff out and your editors are always sort of encouraging you to, to um, you know, slim it down a little. So I, so I think in some ways that background, that professional background of writing very factual, quite sort of sober reports is, is probably quite helpful. Yeah, got you. Did you do any like kind of classes or courses, or did you just go straight in for the kill to try and put a draft together, and then kind of got, once you got your manuscript, get the editor to work with you from there, or or how, how what 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 was the process for you? Yeah, well, I've, I've no courses or anything. I'm completely untrained, um, so I no, I just thought I thought I'd just give it a go, basically, um, and um, you know, it seems to have worked out okay. I I guess I. I've, I was, I'm a voracious reader. I've read a lot of of spy literature. I've read a lot of of other literature. I, I'm I'm a huge fan of certainly John le Carre, Len Dayton, some some of those sort of classic writers, and also more recently, you know, there's there's great where well, you've now got you've got I. S. Berry writing. You've got David McCloskey, two great uh, contemporary novelists, Americans, obviously Charles Cumming in the UK, Mick Heron. There are there are so many great writers in this genre at the moment that it's it's quite easy to get inspiration i think from from just sort of reading what's out there i'm just the moment i'm enjoying reading joseph cannon who's obviously another 
great American espionage writer. And was there anything that you kind of, when you were, when you first set out, like kind of, that's it, I'm, I'm going to write a spy book, was there a, uh, an inspiration within the literature world that you looked at and thought, I want it to be so much more like this or, or this particular person's writing style, or was it just a, an accumulation of all the, the great authors you've just mentioned? I, I don't think I was particularly trying to, to sort of emulate the style of anyone, but I certainly... I was inspired, actually. Inspired might seem an odd choice of word, but I was inspired by uh, the sad passing of John le Carré and, and the fact that, that he was no longer writing. And, and I, I admired him so much as a writer that I thought, because it had always been on my mind, I'd have a go at trying to write a novel. So I kind of thought, well, you know, you, you can't, like, like anyone, everyone thinks they've got a book in them, but if you don't sit down and write the thing, then you, you don't know if you have or not. So, so there was something about that, the sort of the, the reminder of mortality made me sort of get my act together and, and actually start writing. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that, that being quite sobering, to be fair. And I, I haven't, I've got a confession, I haven't quite got to the end of the book yet, so, um, but I'm not going to give any spoilers. Um, but that, that being said, um, will there be? Would you, do you have intentions of this becoming an ongoing series, or do you think? How do you? What what, what are the next steps in, in kind of your world from here? Yeah, well, there's there's no secret that I'm I'm definitely writing a second because I'm I've been working on it all day and and it's very much on my mind at the moment. So yeah, I'm I'm writing a second and and I, I hope to write a trilogy. So that that's my sort of plan, and and it will be a trilogy about this this ring of spies which which as as i mentioned to alan earlier you know the trying to look at the idea of whether there would could be a russian mole in in the british establishment in in the 2020s and what would that be like and then the the second and third book sort of slightly expand to there being a a sort of network of spies and 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 how that how that unfolds is 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 what the trilogy deals with how do you how do you decide what kind of politics you're going to get involved with? Because it's such a, you know, uh, I don't know what you call it. It's it's really kind of a loud world right now, and it's very extreme on one side or the other. It seems like, and with current events, how do you decide how you're going to frame events or things that happen in your book? Yeah, that that's a great question. I I think people reading my book will probably. Uh, draw their own conclusions about where my own politics lie. It's not a political book. I don't think anyone would, unless they had very, you know, sort of uh, <laughs> particular political stance. I don't think anyone would need to be put off by 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 it. But but I think I think at the end of the day, I I had a worldview about some mistakes that Britain had made, making our particularly around the issue of kind of Russian interference financial interference a lot of russian money came into the british economy came into the city of london that feeling feeling about that you know that could be a political view to take but i think people across the political spectrum probably now reflect that that wasn't a, a brilliant idea for, for britain to have done that and and i don't hide from the fact in the book that i i feel strongly about the the situation in Ukraine. And in fact, I've dedicated the book to the people of Ukraine as they continue their fight for freedom. So again, if someone has politically feels that, that you, Ukraine is, deserves what's happening to them, then they probably won't like my book. But I think those are quite small 
categories of people. Yeah, but they're loud people. <laughs> That's true. They, they are. You know, <laughs> and, and, you know, when I always think of things, as, it's not so much political because, I, I, you know, I hear something and I think, well, I think of the idea and think about whether it's right or wrong, not about whether it's left or right. You just have to be careful because there's people out there creating stories, you know, as well. So it's a strange world. Uh, so what about current events, like things like that are happening today? Do you do you bring that into your writing, or are you staying away from things that are happening? No, I'm I'm very much the opposite. I'm sort of I'm sort of all in with current events, and and that's that's been. I've, as I've only written one novel, I can't really say it's my style, but it, it was certainly the style of that book, uh, and it's the style of the one I'm writing now. I, I wanted the reader to feel that they were almost reading something that was sort of what sits behind the news that they see on TV or or, or whatever on online. Um, so so the, the book is unfolding as as the the war in Ukraine is unfolding. I don't I don't name real people but there's a sense that the person who is the prime minister of britain might well be the person who was actually the prime minister at that time and i i in in, in the second book that i'm writing now it's very much again the the events and the incidents are totally fictitious but the backdrop is the unfolding war in ukraine and i've been quite careful and i've been going back over over all kinds of reports to make sure that i'm i'm corresponding it to the, the 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 thread the narrative of of what really has been happening in that war it's interesting i guess do you have to worry about things changing like i because like when you write something that's current event it could change or it might not happen the way you write it and so that it kind of will it outdate what you put in your book yeah i i think that is a challenge so when i started writing the the war in ukraine hadn't begun uh, so that, that that required me to change the book, and essentially the, the the book is is set not quite in the present. It's set sort of eighteen months ago, and and in that sense, at least I've I've just got a tiny bit of a tiny bit of sort of protection against the the changes you you describe there. But of course, what we don't know is is the subsequent outcome. We, we you know we don't yet know how this war will end, for example. So I. So I just have to be cautious about that, but I'm hopeful that the, 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 the specific plot of the story doesn't, doesn't require a certain outcome or, or require me to sort of speculate too far forward. What do you get out of doing the book? What does it do for you? That's a really good question. I think for the first book, it was very much that, can I do this? You know, do, do, because I think a lot of people have wondered if they might write a novel and and of course lots of people write novels and and for various reasons they they might not get finished or might not might not get published eventually um so so i guess for the first book it was it was that sort of sense of can i do this but but wanting to say something as as i mentioned this this sort of underlying idea of of the the way in which elements of british society and and i think maybe western society in general allowed themselves to become too open to kind of, you know, kleptocrats' money, bluntly. I, I felt that was something that was worth saying. So, so I, what I got out of it was I, I enjoyed the creativity. I love creating characters, and it, it goes back to the question earlier, that you, you amalgamate people and, and, and types, but, but actually fundamentally cre creating characters, creating dialogue. I've, I've enjoyed that a lot. 
And then writing this second book, I think there's, there's slightly a, an urge to, to sort of see, well, can I do this a second time? You know, was it a fluke? Um, people have been, been quite positive about the first book, which has been a, a wonderful experience. You know, it's great to have positive reader feedback. Um, so, so now I'm, I'm trying to see if I could do it again. And, and, and that, that, that sort of personal challenge, I, I imagine that might be what, what drives a lot of writers forwards. Yeah. Do, do you have an estimated date for when the, the second book might be on the shelves? Um, I, th I think it, sh it should be towards the end of this year. So, you know, think, things are moving, moving pretty, pretty quickly on that. So, hope, yeah, hopefully it, it, roughly a year from when the first book came out, people will be able to sort of pick up the sequel. That's great. And, and will you be kind of planting things in book two that might be more relevant in book three, so some of these little Easter eggs that people put in to kind of give people a hint as to what's, uh, what might be coming in three of the trilogy? Yeah, definitely. And, and, and also, hopefully, there'll be things that were, were relatively minor elements of the first book that, that slightly opened up a bit more in, in, in book two. There is a slight challenge, of course. One, now that I've written book one, you know, I obviously can't change it. So you're, <laughs> you're slightly, there, there's, there's one little plot point I got a bit stuck on because I, I wished I'd written something slightly different in the first book. But uh, uh, that's, that's guess, I guess that's what a first-time novelist does. You know, you make these little, these little uh, problems for yourself. Yeah, yeah, I've uh, yeah definitely been there and done that. Um, uh, and, and going slightly like, away from the book, just just to like kind of the current world that we've been talking about with regards to uh, for Osint and that kind of thing. You have got the likes of Bellingcat now and and companies popping up all over the place, like private intelligence companies. There's, there's more and more of what I used to do in the contractors, not just boots on the ground stuff, but the the kind of um, sitting behind the desk and the analyst stuff. What are your feelings on that, on more and more kind of um, private contractors being used within the intelligence industry? Well, I think it's a really fascinating world and one that people outside that world, people who don't have the background, Gavin, that you have or I might have, that people still don't know very much. So I'm quite interested to keep writing novels that talk as much about that world as they do about the world of, of government spies, because I think a lot of spying is now done by, by people who aren't, who aren't employed by governments. And, and they are, yes, they might be working for private businesses or they might just be a kind of loose collective of, of people working online, working together. Bellingcat is a great example of that for those not familiar. You know, Bellingcat is a, is a kind of online collective of expert open source intelligence researchers who've made extraordinary discoveries and 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 um particularly in relation to some of the things that russia did such as the shooting down the malaysian airliner such as the identifying the two assassins who came to salisbury england and um, to attempting to assassinate sergey skripal those sorts of things i it, it's remarkable and 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 i don't think the the world of fiction and of 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 the, the, the creative world has actually caught up with that reality. Oh, yeah, without doubt there. Um, because, I mean, right now I think there's a, a huge percentage of, of the intelligence industry that's using kind of or outsourcing and using contractors. And, yeah, I think you're definitely on, on the button there with that because it is something that it's getting bigger and not getting kind of noted noted in the literary world. Yeah, so so it would it, it, be interesting... Um, 
to to see whether or not um, there's a bit of a trend now for for that that to d sort of develop um, in 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 literature and also on the screen, of course, because again, that's that's uh, clearly very important. You know, there's a lot of great uh, spy on-screen spy stuff at the moment, and and obviously there's slow horses. People love watching that in the UK, and I'm sure <laughs> it's being watched elsewhere. Um, but again, that's still quite traditional in the framing of a, of a sort of government government service. Yeah, yeah. I haven't actually seen Slow Horses yet, but I've been told it's quite good. So that's something that's on, on my list. <laughs> have, definitely, have you... definitely to look forward to, yeah. Oh, brilliant. I'll, I'll definitely be getting into that then. Is, is there anything that, that kind of when you were writing the book that either you did put in and then took out, you don't have to say what it is, but that you did put in and took out because you thought, hmm, maybe I shouldn't say that, or is there anything that you wish you could have put in, especially for the sake of, uh, you know, the story, um, that you, you, you know, kind of left out and thought, hmm, it's a shame that I can't mention that and uh, would, have, would have been really, um, really enhanced the story somehow. Yeah, well, what, to be honest with you, one of the, the funny things is, is around the names of characters, and I know that, that lots of novelists, Get, can get quite stuck on this and, and, and can invest a lot of effort in. If I'm very honest, I think I, I, my character names are, are relatively sort of lightly worn, you know, they're, they're just names I've alighted on. But in one particular case, in the working draft of the novel, I had a name for a certain Russian character, um, and I couldn't quite remember why I'd chosen that name. Um, so, so I put it into Google and I realized that I actually was using the name of a real Russian intelligence officer. So <laughs> I, I better, probably better change that because that, that, that isn't necessarily going to go very well for me. <laughs> no, you end up going missing. Yeah. <laughs> well, what do you think, what do you think the general public gets wrong about the spy world? And, and I know that, you know, it, in movies and TV and stuff, it's, it's, it's made to look very exotic, I guess, you know, the spies all look perfect and they have great clothes and they, and they can do amazing things in these movies and stuff. But what, what is it that really goes on in the spy world that people don't understand? Well, I think certainly you're right. Obviously, in the end, the movies in particular have to, they have to look good in a way that, that, you know, normal humans that don't always manage to. But I think, I think one thing that people would not necessarily expect is how much remains ambiguous and it just remains unclear. So we, in stories, you always want a satisfactory ending. You know, you want there to be someone who was guilty or someone who, who, who can be exposed. You, you want, you want the, the undercover agent to be able to discover the plot and hopefully foil the plot. In real life, a lot of times, it, intel agencies and also intel, um, you know, the people working in commercial intel are dealing with incomplete information and doing their best to understand things. And, and that's about as far as they get. You know, they don't, they don't get a full answer to a question. They, they, they make their best estimate. And, and I think that's something. And, of course, that can be quite hard to put into literature. People don't want to read a book that feels like it, you know the ending doesn't doesn't reach a conclusion, um, but 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 that is definitely a, a feature of of the real world that perhaps isn't reflected very often in in the sort of entertainment side. So when you're writing, how do you yourself experience your characters, and how do you how do you 
develop the dialogue for instance like um do you do you hear your characters in your in your head do you see it like a movie what what's kind of the situation for you i think i think i mostly hear it uh and i perhaps in my head i'm sort of seeing a slightly kind of a sort of translucent movie so it's not a fully formed picture and i find uh i probably spend a certain amount of time muttering to myself little little snatches of dialogue so maybe if someone was in the room with me they'd think i'd gone a bit crazy and then i i quite often i find if i if i go for a walk it really helps you know there's obviously something about the the physical activity of of walking and maybe it's just that's what it does to your circulation or something that that really helps me if i've got a bit stuck but i find i've always found um dialogue not too difficult uh, for me, perhaps slightly harder is is the sort of the bridging passages, the 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 um, the, the description of a journey or, or or the description of a sort of setting in which someone finds themselves that I've I've sort of had to work a bit harder on. So so when you go something like this and you kind of go put your characters through these experiences and kind of live through the book for however long it takes you to write it, um, do you think it changes you? Um, yeah, I think it does definitely. I, I think, for example, in, in, in the first novel, there was, well, there were two things. One that I, I'm avoiding spoilers here, but there's a, you know, there's an important character who, who dies at a certain point in the book. And I realized that that's quite a big thing to do to the reader because they've, they've decided, you know, they may not like the character or they, they, hopefully they would, but, um, that you know they they've decided that they they're emotionally invested in that person. So I had I realized that I had this sort of responsibility to readers that hadn't occurred to me because I think particularly when you you you've never written anything that other people have read or certainly not fiction then then you you don't realize you you're writing it for everyone else you're not really writing it for yourself. I wonder um who do you who do you in, get inspiration from, and not necessarily other writers? I mean, of course, Gavin is a big inspiration for most people, but other than, than Gavin, um, <laughs> who, who, where do you get inspiration from? Well, that's a good question. I, I, I'm quite inspired, I think, by, by those, those that have gone before. Um, you know, there are, there, are big, there are some big characters in the world of, of sort of intelligence, particularly if, if we go back to the Second World War, you know, there, there were people who in their 20s were, were being parachuted into occupied Europe, um, perhaps because they'd studied languages at university. And, you know, these days uh, we don't expect people in their 20s to move out of their parents' house. So, you know, it's, it's incredible if you think about what those people did. And similarly, in the Cold War, I think there were there were... Like, like any period of history, there were highs and lows, but there were some extraordinary achievements. Um, you know, the CIA and, and MI6 and other intelligence agencies managed some amazing things. Um, if we think about uh, the resolution of some great crises, such as the Cuban Missile Crisis, the role intelligence played in that, or the ending of the Cold War and, and the role that we, we subsequently learned from accounts that have come out and subsequent books and so on, that the role, for instance, played by Oleg Gordievsky, who was this KGB agent who was working um, for the Western intelligence agencies, so those sorts of things. They're, 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 these are quite inspiring characters. And, and in that sense, um, whilst I think 
there is often a, a temptation to write write about intelligence agencies as fairly cynical organizations i i don't i certainly don't uh adhere to the idea that these are kind of rogue agencies i think a lot of particularly in movies now it's almost always a government conspiracy at the end of the story and I, i'm not really sure i i go for that mm. did you always know growing up that this was this would be the road you'd take did you have a feeling as a as a, as a kid do you think yep I'm, that's what i'm going to do when i'm older or was it something that you just ended up going down that route and and uh, you know, it was kind of a, a something like you you had the offer and were like, ah, yeah, I think I think I'd take I'd, I'd enjoy that. How did it go? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly wasn't something I I thought I'd be be involved with, and it it was just sort of it was you know the way things worked out and 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 the opportunity was there, and I I I was you know lucky to to have that chance. I mean, uh, these days people can apply. Certainly in, in the British context, they can apply to intelligence agencies via a website. I, I don't know how the system is in, in the U.S. And, and um, you know, if it's a great way to involve yourself in public service. Yeah, for sure. And um, is there anything that, like, because I know you have done a couple of other interviews, is, is there anything that you afterwards would be like, I wish they'd have asked me this, I really want to talk about this particular part of the book or my life or anything like that that we haven't asked you that you'd like to tell everybody? I mean, it, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm just delighted to have the opportunity. The, the one thing I would say, say about the book is that um, I, I dropped in quite a few uh, sort of Easter eggs for people who are really into the kind of intelligence uh, history and, and, um, and the sort of the culture and, and, and the stories of, of the sort of intelligence world. So I hope that some of those, um, some of those are, are, are enjoyed by readers of the book. And, and there's one or two sort of pen portraits of, of people who are very peripheral characters, but, but who, who, who may, may, may correspond to real people in the real world. And, and that was, again, more there for a sort of little amusement for one or two readers. So I, I hope people get something from that. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, so listen, um, are, have you got a an, um, social media presence set up for the book and a website and all that? Do you interact with readers or because I know it's not your real name and it's not what, you know, it's not who you are, but do you have something set up or do you yeah. stay away from that? No, so I'm, I've, I'm on, um, on X, formerly known as Twitter, and uh, I've had quite a few um, very nice interactions with readers on there. And then there's also, um, well, Gavin and I know each other from, there's a wonderful Facebook group for enthusiasts of, of spy literature called Spybury, Facebook group Spybury, which, again, I, I can, um, I'm, I'm always, always delighted when, when people, uh, you know, have something to say on there. Um, and, and yeah, interacting with, with readers and, and potential readers has been one of the real, real pleasures of, of this whole experience. Well, fantastic. And, uh, of course, it's all under Charles Fulment, I, I'd imagine. That's right. That's right. And, and I, ha I, I have realized now that uh, I, I chose a name quite randomly, but that there is another Charles Beaumont who, uh, long since dead, but was an American author of kind of science fiction, I think. So I'm not that one. I'm, I'm the other one. Yeah. <laughs> You're the other one. You're the one still alive. Right, I'm still alive. But, I mean, it, it wasn't his real name either, to be fair. So uh, for some reason, we all just like this name. Wow. I, you know, if there ever was a real Charles Beaumont, he's got to be thrilled. 
<laughs> you know, people sending him all sorts of stuff, you know. Well, we really appreciate you being on the show, talking about your book. And, of course, we'll have the book up and everything else we can about you. And, of course, it's called A Spy Alone. And, of course, our guest, Charles Beaumont, thank you for being here. Thank you very much for the opportunity. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.